Welcome to episode 550 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alright, team, welcome along to episode 550 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I am fantastic. Bevan, how about you? You look like you've had a shower. Did you get up and have a shower, did you? No, your eyes are deceiving you. It's oh. time to go to Fendleton Eye Clinic and get your LASIK <laughs> procedure done. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is. Maybe. Although, I'm quite lucky with my eyesight, John. My eyesight's holding up pretty well. I'm nearly 40. Well, you apparently know? not. You're true. <laughs> good point. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah. Have, have you got good eyes? Yeah, they're, they're good. They're, they're standard. I pass my driving test without glasses. Nice. You do wear glasses, but don't you? Yeah. What for reading? Uh, long distance, the dark weather. Oh, the dark weather, eh? Okay, yeah. guys, I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by? Athlinks.com. Social networking for the endurance athlete. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And let's name a few. Skip Peanuts Slade. We've got, we've got the new president, Matthew Reagan, Reagan, sorry, Matthew the President Reagan. How now, brown cow dolphin. Nice, Ben. Light it up, Cox. And Robert Speedy G. Aruda. Aruda. Okay, team, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got an age group of the week. We've got statistic. There's a bit of a coach's corner happening. We've got a, we've got a legendary coach on the show. John, so who's on the show this week? We have Joe Friel, the illustrious author. Um, he's going to be talking about the Training Bible, his new um, updated version of that. It really is the Bible, one of the first um, really comprehensive triathlon books and updated and brought into the 21st century with uh, you know power information all that sort of stuff. So talk to Joe about that. Good times. Okay, well, first of all, and a bit of news. So, first of all, what's been happening in the news? Well, I suppose the big piece of news is Gwen Jordan is up the duff. It is gossip week this week. We ain't got much news, but so we're going to start with gossip stuff. Yeah, someone sent through a picture on, of that, and uh, she did a the younger generation these days, Bevan. I don't know. You know, yeah. she's 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 twelve weeks pregnant, and she's driving back from uh, her twelve week scan and announces to the world on a little you know video clip on her phone that they're pregnant. I was like, man, it's uh, yeah, that's the younger generation these days. The younger generation, John. Those kids. Oh, what are they doing to the world? So good, good on her. But it's going to make it really interesting for the. For the rest of the field this year, you know, she's been such a dominant figure for the last few years, and um, and that next rung down girls, you know, um, Flora Duffy had a fantastic season winning the series last year, and, and but you know she's not uh, nowhere near as dominant as Gwen Jorgensen, so you know it should make for some really exciting racing when you've got you know six or seven girls that can turn up and win any different race. So um, yeah. Fantastic news for her, but also fantastic news that hopefully some of the racing will become a little bit less predictable. How old's Gwen? Do you know, John? She's thirty. She's thirty. Okay, so yes. so so we're pretty much right off this year. 
and then I would have th- I would have thought so, but you know, um, I know someone else who's pregnant. Um, it's not, I don't know if it's official or not, so I'm not going to mention it here. Um, but you know, if, if if you were going to have a child, um, straight after the Olympics is the time to get into it, and then you can have a, a season off, and then you can come back. You know, we saw Spurig. You know, she came back for a silver medal. So you know, take a you know, take six to to nine months out, and then ease back into it, and you've got three years through to the next Olympics, and. Uh, who knows where she's going to go? You know, it may be it may be the end of her career. It may be just um, you know another sort of uh, yeah bit of downtime and then get ready for the next Olympics. How old's too old for a short course? Oh, it should be fine through the next Olympics. Yeah, Andrea Hewitt was still very competitive uh, this year, and whilst she didn't get a medal, she's still you know right up there on the podium and winning races. Uh, so you know, I would have thought she would still be competitive easily at the next Olympics. Okay, cool. Uh, would she be dominant? Could well be. I mean, she's still so dominant at this stage. You know, it's the same sort of question as how long can the Brownleys last? And uh, so far, Alice Brownlee's done pretty pretty well. So, um, and, the, and the other thing is her athletic age in triathlon is still relatively young. So I still think she's probably got plenty more improvement. You know, she's only been in the game since uh, 2010. So I think, uh, yeah, anything could happen. Congratulations to her and her partner. It's a pretty exciting time for them. So first, next up is our, not really gossip, but the Brownleys have been nominated for the L'Oreal. So L'Oreal's Best Sporting Moment of the Year Award. And this is basically, it's kind of one of the big sporting events, really, isn't it, when it comes to awards. Like if you win L'Oreal Sportsman of the World or Sportswoman of the World or Sports Team of the World, it's kind of, it's probably one of the biggest recognised sporting awards in the whole world, really, isn't it? It is. It's a bit of a, a bit stupid, really, because you're comp- not comparing apples with apples. You know, how do you compare yeah. the top tennis player with the top cyclist? But it's but it does get a lot of exposure, mm. and it's a massive gala event. So it is cool that we've um, we've got a triathlon uh, triathletes in there. So if you guys recall, when Alistair Brownlee helped Johnny Brownlee over the finish line at the grand finale in Cozumel earlier this year to try to help him win the World Series, didn't end up being successful in that, but it was a a very interesting and somewhat controversial sporting moment for for some of us. Some people agree with it. Some people think it's uh, shouldn't shouldn't have happened, but it did, and it was uh, it was pretty amazing drama. Don't know that they're going to have a great chance. Um, so they're up against uh, firstly a Kiwi, uh, who a girl called Nikki Hamblin, who helped a fellow athlete. They both tripped over in the Olympics in the five, I think it was five thousand meters uh, heats, and both tripped over, and then they helped each other up and managed to carry on and finish the race. And then they actually um, got actually put through to the the, the final. And um, I know Nikki Hamblin got smoked in the mm. final. I can't remember about the American girl whether she ran or not. So that's what they're up. Against. They're also up against the Icelandic um, football team who had this amazing run uh, at the was it Euros. Euros. It was either Euros or the World World Cup. Uh, and then there's another one there with a, a tennis player called Jack Sock, who's an American, who told Leighton Hewitt to challenge a line call. And I watched that footage, and that was pretty entertaining. Uh, Leighton Hewitt served a, uh, an ace, and uh, the ball was actually in. And uh, this guy, Jock Sock, said, uh, you should challenge that because it got called out. And uh, and it wasn't, and so Leighton Hewitt won the point. Uh, and then there's another one, a couple of sort of heartwarming ones, where a, a young Portuguese fan comforts a sobbing Frenchman after a, a loss. And then, Did you watch the one? It's really cool. 
I didn't watch that one, but it, I did watch... The... I watched it at the time. I remember when it came out at the time. So basically, the Frenchman was pretty disappointed and just this real young kid goes up and kind of just gives him some sympathy and it's just a bit of a special moment. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And then the last one is a, uh, a, a Barcelona playing a Japanese under-12 team. So there's a couple of under-12s playing and again, the, the, the Japanese team have lost and they're in tears and beside themselves and it's it's just good how the, the under-12 Barcelona boys go over and sort of console them. So I don't give... At the moment, the Brown brothers are running at uh, 12% support and as I said the little uh, under 12s are running at 44% in terms of who's going to win that but um, I did actually go on there and vote myself because uh, if you if you go on and vote they've got a competition where three people can win uh, flights and accommodation and the full schmoozle to go and actually watch the awards in Monaco on February the 14th that would be pretty cool to go and see that it's a real black tie thing in Monaco and I'm sure you get looked after pretty well I've just, I'm actually just practicing how to do my tyres, John. So yeah. you know, if, I, if I win, I'll be able to do my own tyre as well. So it's well, exciting times. I was a little concerned if I do win. It's like I'm gonna have to. There's gonna be some weighing up. And if you go on and win, you have to weigh up: shall I get married or shall I go to the Laureus Awards? Ah, I'll, I'll let you <laughs> off. I, I, as a friend, I'd love you to be at my wedding. But if you win a ticket to the Laureus Awards, bugger off. <laughs> Yeah, it's a once in a lifetime for me. Yeah, imagine if I won. I've just voted. I (laughs) I hope your weddings are once in a lifetime too. No, but for me, but you know, for you, you know, like it's you know, like you know, I am paying for you to go to Monaco. Let's put it that way. So, expectations of your wedding, you know, hopefully it is a once in a lifetime for the for the for the crowd as well. Well, I'm gonna start start writing my speech. Got to start writing my vows in the next couple of days, John. There's a lot of pressure on. You know, mm. I'm also an MC at another wedding next weekend. I've got to think of, you know, you had to be a good MC. So it's, it's all go at the moment, John, but that's okay. We've got Israel Mount coming up this weekend. And yeah. it's kind of the only it's, iron distance race we've got, really, isn't it? It is. So they have a half and a full. Very, very challenging course. We've had um, listeners before go over there and do it. Hal Tao's done it. The, um, uh, Tim Hemming's gone over and done it. So it sounds like a fantastic event. I nearly ended up going there myself this year. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, a good one looks like a cool venue and a lot of the times i think people crap themselves about israel man but when i considered going over there i did a bit of research into um the dangers and what have you and by god there's certainly some dangerous places in israel that you wouldn't go but it certainly sounds to me that if you um if you follow good advice it's not actually that uh, dangerous a place to go so risks um but uh, this race is right down in the south of israel looks spectacular you got this bloody big climb to get up on the the bike course big long climb then you kind of ride through this desert it looks spectacular and uh and it looks like a cool race to do so there's a half and a full going on this weekend so good luck to anybody who's listening who's going down and doing that okay we've also got a uh, seven, few 70.3s but one of them is the Dubai seventy point three and for a start list for a solid hundred thousand K and it's pretty good pretty good field, eh? You've got some pretty high hitters there, haven't we? Very impressive feel for this time of the season. By God, you've got Gomez, you've got Amberger, you've got uh, Rudy Wilde, Michael Raylert, Freddie Cronenberg, Tim O'Donnell, Tyler Butterfield, Pierre Bittner, Skip, Bit, Skip um, Todd Skipworth. And then you've got Terenzo Racing and uh, Andrea Streitz and Martin that, Benson. So that's a strong always, field. If all these dudes turn up, that's got to be one of the strongest 70.3s anywhere in the world. So uh, good on them for for drawing such a big field. And, you know, these 100K races, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, There's great money, but it does only pay 10 deep and 10th, 750 bucks. So they've got... uh, 
40, 40 guys on the start list. Um, so good on them. And it's it's great to see, you know, WTC having, you know, good, strong fields at a lot of these 70.3s. So uh, good on them. The girls' side of things, you know, not quite as strong as the guys, but still very stacked. You've got Lindsay Corbin, Kaiser Latonen, who did so well in Kona last year, Yvonne Van Vlerken. Um, uh, you've got Daniela Reef, Caroline Steffen, uh, Radka Carterfelt, so that's formerly Radka Vitakova. Um, so, yeah, again, another pretty stacked field. So, you know, 20, 26 odd girls. So, good on them. Great field. Okay, and we've also got 70.3s at South Africa, is it? South Africa, a few, a few good South Africans racing there, James Carnamar and Jody Carnamar and stuff. No, nowhere near as stacked as Dubai. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to start talking about a bit more, a few more race results in the coming weeks. We've got Challenge Wanaka coming up in a few weeks as well, and uh, then we'll be into Ironman New Zealand, and then we'll start having a few more Australian races. See, see people bitching and moaning about Ironman New Zealand adding the 70.3, and I did notice, I, I did very loose maths in my head, but uh, they've now released the the sort of 70.3 for that's now going to be on the same day as Ironman New Zealand. I foresee there being some issues with um, the pros coming through and lapping out the uh, the 70.3 athletes. I'm going to be very intrigued to see how that pans out because I think it's uh, they're starting maybe about an hour and a half behind the the, the pro men doing the Ironman, and so I think they'll be on the bike course when they're coming through for their second lap, which uh, if they get a decent-sized field, will be a nightmare. Uh, yeah, probably, yeah, we'll probably will be about that time, won't it? Because how long, so so 7.3, yeah, definitely, yeah, in that last it, part of the road, yeah. Yeah, at some stage, they'll start hitting the 70.3 athletes. So And it's going to be yeah. the slower ones they're going to hit too, isn't it? So it's yeah, going to, yeah. So fingers crossed it's all good and everything runs smoothly and we hope it's a fantastically successful event. But I just, um, yeah, mo- I didn't see any po- positive comments on, on Facebook of when they announced the 70.3, put it that way. Is there any idea of field number yet? Is there, can we figure that out yet or not really? No, I haven't I haven't noticed yet. Okay. Um, we've got Dawson coming on show next week. He's, if, if you want to check out, he's going to be talking about this on next week's show, but just if you want to talk about the best ranked athletes of the last year, he's just done a revised top 10, and number one, head and shoulders above the rest is what we're saying here, Jombo. So. Oh, yeah, so I'm going to have a chat to Torsten actually today, and uh, we're going to use that on, on next week's show. But he's got his try, try rating report out, and we're going to talk a bit about that. I love it when you see ebooks on websites and they have these big, thick, um, yeah. big, thick images. But actually, when you go on to, I've got gone, I was going through the try rating last night, thinking, what am I going to ask um, Torsten about? My God, that is a seriously comprehensive document, really reviewing everything you'll want to know, plus millions more about uh, the 2016 season and and how everybody performed at different races who put in the most impressive performances obviously you've got the the Kona winners and you go to them by default but yeah there's just so many other very impressive performances outside of Kona and uh, Torsten's sort of unique rating system really puts them up there and one of the questions I'm going to ask him and I know the the result already is you know where does uh, Lionel Sanders performance in Arizona sort of fit in to the scheme once it's sort of been weighted for how difficult the courses are and the caliber of the fields elsewhere and, and what have you so yeah unsurprisingly on Torsten's ratings you have Daniela Reef on top along with uh, Jan Fredino but just the the size of the gap there in front of people so she's ranked uh, at eight hours and 46 minutes and six seconds uh, and Dan, uh, Marinda Carfrey is ranked second 
you know, 17 minutes behind um, Daniela Reef on a sort of a weighted basis. And equally, almost equally on the guys, you've got Jan Fredino rated at 7.59.12 and then Sebastian Keenley, 8 hours, 10 minutes and 48 seconds and another 7 minutes back to Brent McMahon. So um, those number ones, man, they are, you know, a long way in front of everybody else. Well, if we go back to the females and we take Carfrey out of it, like it's it's 30 minutes between her mm. and the third place getter. So, you know, and then from there it's kind of minutes. So Carfrey's, you know, a good 10 minutes between anybody else anyway. But, you know, Reef is like, you take away Carfrey out of it and it, she's literally nearly 30 minutes faster than anyone else in the field. Mm. That is phenomenal. Some interesting names in there. You know, see Yvonne, the six bests. She mm-hmm. raced 24 races last year. Gee, she's a trooper, isn't she? No, you know? that's, that, that won't be 24 Ironmans. <laughs> that's 24 Ironmans in total that she'll have down. Oh, that, okay. It would so. be impressive if you race 24 times. Oh, I thought it was yeah. just 24 races, not just 24 Ironmen. Okay, no. yeah. Um, and any other surprising names in the boys? Jesse Thomas does well to get in the top 10. He does, yeah, and, and I think what you get rewarded with in Torsten's rating is your consistency. You know, if you, I, I think, I think he takes out. You know, if you have a diabolical one, I think that gets excluded because that would skew things consistent yeah. uh, a long way out. But you got to think, you know, Jan Fredino, um, he's got seven Ironman races listed there, so I'm guessing that's uh, he's done Kona three times, Germany. and then he, he's done Germany probably. Throw it. He's probably done Germany two or three times or twice, and then he's done Rote, and then he, he did Lanzarote as well once. But he's been consistent in all those races. So, um, you know, I know Jesse Thomas beat him in, uh, in when they did Lanzarote, and uh, he didn't obviously win Kona the first time he did it, but he got uh, it was either second or third. And then he didn't win did, Germany either, did he? Because remember, he got. Yeah. Odd- but he's still got again. He's still got third, and so yeah. he would have had still had a very good time. And he hasn't had a, a crappy or an average Ironman. Whereas, say, Keen Lake, you know, um, the year before last, you know, he finished seventh or eighth or so in Kona. So he's had the odd crappy one. Um, and Brett McMahon must be similar. You know, most of Brett McMahon's races have been sub eight, except for his couple of performances in uh, Kona. So, yeah, I guess yeah, the, the most impressive ones are those guys that have been around for a long time. You, know, you got Brent, um, Marino van Holnacker and uh, Freddie van Lee both got 20 and 21 uh, races under their belt iron distance and also Andy Boucherer who's in there in the top 10 he's got 14 iron distance races in there so um, pretty consistent performers and um, as you said on the girls side you know Yvonne Van Blurken and uh, Lucy Gossage and Mary Beth Alice you know they maintain their consistency in their positions by um, by racing well on a, on a regular basis. Good times, rock and roll. Good to see Dawson's doing great work. So if you do want to get his his, his latest uh, annual report, the Tri-Rating Report 2016, you just go to tryrating.com. It's on there. Uh, I'm not sure, if has, does he charge a price, John, or is he just say, you, you give me what choose, you want? Yeah, you can basically choose how much you want to pay for it. One other thing I will say, I watched, uh, had to do a, we had a terrible, terrible day of weather on Sunday. It was great. It was great. It rained a lot, and it's always good when it rains in summer. You get, uh, just get everything, everything gets a bit Cups wet. the weeds. You know, helps the weeds grow, fills my swimming pool up. Um, but the Holy Hammer and I ended up doing a three-hour trainer session and watched the Kona coverage. So if you do want to see the NVC Kona coverage, uh, you can find it pretty easily on YouTube now. I think it was 66 minutes long. And um, again, it's a, it's a stock standard Kona coverage. You know, plenty of uh, special interest stories, which are pretty um, pretty amazing. But I would have I, I felt um, that the pro coverage was 
weaker than the previous years. I think the last couple of years I've said I thought they'd actually lifted their game and you actually felt like you watched a bit more of the pro race. But this time around, obviously, it's still centred around the professional race. But um, just felt that you didn't really wasn't really a sports show it had sort of shifted a little bit back to, to more towards a, a general interest show where i felt in the previous years they were maybe inching back the other way so still good coverage and still interesting to watch when you're on the trainer but um it wasn't uh life-changing does it does it still win awards you know for years it was kind of every year it win the big emmy award for sporting you know presentation i'm not quite sure what the exact name of the award but i, I wonder if it's still award-winning and I wonder, another question is, when will NBC, do you think it will be something NBC will keep forever? You know, like, because the dynamic of television coverage is changing. Now, I imagine Ironman probably pay, or WTC probably pays for the whole coverage, you know, like how TV works. But it'll be interesting to see if, like, I don't know, in America, is it, is it on, like, because there's so many channels nowadays, is it on its prime time ABC or whatever, or NBC? Like, maybe there's some American listeners could let us know, is it still as relevant as what it was in the past? And is it still kind of given a prime spot as maybe it was in the past? I don't know. Uh, and is it still kind of drawing the kind of attention that it used to get in the past? Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't answer that, but I, it's still an amazing production. And if you're a general sports fan, um, if, you know, if, if I wasn't into triathlon, um, I think it'd be a, it'd be a fantastic watch. Mm, mm, yeah, totally. And we, we can be a bit, well, not cynical, but, you know, we've seen it so many times, so you kind of know the formula. But I know before I did Ironman, I, I, I did watch the Hoyts one, and this is when I was real young, and, man, it captivated me. I was mm. like, man, this is phenomenal. So pretty cool stuff. Okay, uh, X Endurance time for a sponsor, Jombo. It is indeed. And if you guys uh, got the sniffles coming on, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere and uh, battling your way through winter, worried about getting cold, get hold of the X Endurance Immune Boost, a daily multivitamin for men and women, optimally, optimally formulated to help you nourish cells, tissues, and body organs against damaging free radical attacks. Uh, so it's a comprehensive formula of vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, etc., etc., to help you stay healthy. So check it out immune boost remember to use the promo code imtalk20 and you're getting a whopping 20 percent off any of the products on there so it's a fantastic deal for you guys uh so check out immune boost and if you got uh, for you guys in the southern hemisphere often it's funny i, I have um you know got obviously guys that I, that I coach and obviously we talk about you know immune boost on the you know extreme endurance on the show and people always go well you get their advertisers etc but does it actually work and i always have to sort of go over my uh, sales pitch again to my athletes saying no it does actually work uh, and we're not just bull bullshitting on the show um, so the X endurance you know if you've got races coming up in New Zealand you know a lot of people will be going down to Challenge Wanaka or the half down there and getting ready for, for Ironman New Zealand or Challenge Wanaka or whatever it might be same sort of deal for the Aussies you know use this for you know 7 to 10 days before your race and, uh, and just you know for, for getting one pack of this is going to cost you, you know, 50 or 60 bucks or so um, and just test it out and see see what you think and the, hopefully you'll find the proof is in the pudding because I know the first few times I used it I was like pretty blown away with how quickly I was able to bounce back and uh, and just get a nice little lift in performance as well. So check it out, xendurance.com, use the promo code IAMTALK20 and get yourself a good deal. Okay guys, in last week's show, John put up the discussion, I'm getting married and listen three weeks now two and a half weeks really? from now yeah the 11th oh. yep yep you should know that and even if you yeah. want an award I've changed my mind you've got to come I, uh, wonder, and I, I just saw Joe at the airport yesterday and I thought I wonder where <laughs> she's, she's going, going. what's well, funny uh, actually because I was 
I'm up in Auckland right now. And I was trying to call her, but you know, and I just, she wasn't responding to her phone all day. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, I'd send a text, I'd called her, and like, oh, like from like eight in the morning through to like eight at night, she just didn't respond. I think, I was just starting to think, well, maybe, maybe she has skipped the country. She's seen the light. She's seen, oh, what am I thinking? Anyway, so John basically asked, what should we do for Bevan Stags? And, and, um, yeah, here's what some of the people came up with. So Libby Hilda came up. She's actually a person I know in Christchurch. She's got, as he's not a drinker, maybe you should have a chili off. Play games, and when you lose, you have to eat a chili. Oh, I really wouldn't want to do it, because I'm getting married the next day. So I am going to do something on the Friday night. It's not a good idea, because you're going to have chili off your bum the next day, and yeah, that ain't going to be flash. Gonna be good. No. Um, Mick Simpson said, for my stag, best man set up a scavenger hunt all over the weekend. Had to get things like... Uh, like a winning slip from the bookies, girl's shoe, fancy dress, etc., etc. So you had to go around and uh, someone lost and had to dress up as Justin Bieber on the second night. This doesn't sound like fun. One time years ago, we wanted a stags too. You know Jeff, Jeff the ref? Well, yeah. for his one, what we did is we just made a cheap T-shirt of tasks that he had to do throughout the night. And the idea was we were going to tick the box. Now, some of them were a little bit naughty and... The, it's a gold strategy if you want to do naughty things in the night mm-hmm. because it was phenomenal. Like we were, there were some things that we had to get girls to do and I don't want to sound like a sexist pig so I'm not going to say what they were on the show but girls were just more than willing to do it if they saw it on the t-shirt. So we, <laughs> we, did, we figured out pretty quickly you do not want to tick that box and I actually yeah. thought maybe I should be selling t-shirts around <laughs> the 10 things to do on a night because it was unbelievable how willing and quickly females or certain females were willing to do things that we had on this list it was like oh my god this is a business idea so I never went through with it but if uh, if my fitness career dies I'm going to be selling t-shirts uh, we got Lucy Francis she's got why don't you take a leaf out of the hens party and do a pamper session at a spa well I like the sound of this one Lucy this is gold massage oh spray tan we can get a spray tan John have you ever heard of spray tan no <laughs> when I'm up here for Auckland for work I often have to get them for the filming because they want us to be all brown. And I've got to say, it, 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 the next morning, it seriously looks like you've pooed your bed and you've just rubbed it for hours. It does not look flash. Uh, we've got manicure and pedicure, facial, full body wax. Come on, chaps, admit it. You'd love it. I have to admit, that sounds a lot better than Jilly's. Oh, I'm not going to no beauty salon, Bevan. Come oh, on. Come on, mate. Uh, Gavin Simpson, most effective if you have a stag where you fly to and from the party location. I think in New Zealand, if you're going anywhere outside of New Zealand, it's a long way. <laughs> it's a long way. It's not like in Europe where you just pop over to uh, to you know Ibiza or whatever. Have a really subdued stag. The groom will be surprised. There hasn't been more hijinks. As you return to the airport, tell him you know it has been quite boring, so you need to embarrass him a little, and you would like him to wear a Superman or similarly tight-fitting like like a suit on the way home you change into it and before you check your luggage before you check your luggage go through security go for a drink at the airport bar slip a viagra into his drink and oh, wait. it's not in your superman outfit <laughs> <laughs> one time years ago john here's a funny story one time years ago we me and my friends we were playing this game called asshole do you know asshole yeah yeah, yeah so it's a card game if you don't know it's a card game and, and the whole idea is each time you lose a hand you get a letter and so till you spell the word asshole and if you get the word asshole you lose uh and we'd have these dares and one time the deal was you had to go to the this petrol station in a pair of tight aerobic shorts. So basically, think tri shorts, mm. you know, high tri shorts, with a banana in in the tri shorts. Oh, nice. So it looked like you were pretty happy to be there. And then you had to buy a condom. Tell you what, <laughs> <laughs> my mate Jeff had to do it. 
Oh, you know, he used to be crying with laughter. It was so funny because yeah. it looked like he was so happy to be there. And we found <laughs> the biggest banana we could find. Anyway, uh, Iona, Iona was out. My flatmate, when I was in Kona a few months ago, my Iona McKenzie, she's just got uh, the song running through my head right now is Too Many Dicks on the Dance Floor, which is a song that I introduced to her when we were in rooming together. And she's just saying, which I've never heard of until the camp when Bevan introduced me to the Flight of the Concords. So she's just maybe, I'm not quite really sure where you're going with that one, but. Uh, Belfong's is definitely an undie run of some kind maybe even where his get up from the early days of body pump slash body attack mm, they were short shorts uh, Tim Tim Forwards grab my mullet back oh jeepers I haven't got enough time mate you know unfortunately Sean uh, sh- the porno barns eat an egg whole and raw well what happened there was it at porno's Stags do. I don't drink, and so and his was a big stag do. When we think about drinking, it got pretty messy. We had yeah. like a whole day events and stuff. It was really it was awesome stags. And then though we had this, we went to this campground and they had this. Think of just a block building, so no insulation. It was bloody freezing in the middle of the night because we we're in Wanaka and kind of it was freezing. But they got it was it was mess, just think messy, 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 <laughs> and times that by ten, and that's what kind of was like. But I don't drink, so. What they got me to do was to eat a raw egg, and I was, I couldn't hold it down and end up spewing. So I was the first person to spew the night. Yeah, nice. it, wasn't, it wasn't good. Um, Arnold, he's got uh, perform in a pink G string. Well, okay, yep. Adrian Bryan, be a mile. You know what? Maybe that, maybe that could be the thing I do. I'd get no, drunk, I've got but... I've got ideas. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, because I don't drink, shit. but a be a mile. Because how many beers is it? Four beers is it? Yeah, I would I would be drunk. Yeah, no, I've got a, I've got a suggestion. You you will carry carry on, and we'll we'll come to my suggestion shortly. Okay, Mark uh, Funkster Brooks, that's a good name. He's got the hundred one hundreds here. That I ain't happening. To, I, would, I wouldn't be able to move the next day. Ten k's of swimming. Yeah. Oh, bugger that. There's a picture here from Bell Fong. Also, also an idea for the next podcast. You got a seat there, and it's got a um, a starting, you know, an aerosol canister. Those ones where they start, and they do the big horn, air horn. And uh, it's, I don't know why I should put it on here, but it's taped underneath someone's seat. And when you sit on that seat, you know, it's it's an office chair. Just oh, load, scare the down. crap out of you. That would be a gold trick to put on someone. That would be gold. Yeah. And it'd be really entertaining because you'd crap yourself. And the attention of the noise means everyone's going to see it. Now, it's okay. So to the actual, um, what's actually going to happen on the day is I haven't heard too much. I've heard a little bit from uh, Jeff the Ref. And yep. what I've heard is... Uh, is entertaining, uh, oh, no. <laughs> but my suggestion is is a variation of the beer mile, and so what we, we won't do the um, with the beer mile. Sometimes you do the beer mile and the uh, and the cold mince pie each lap. So you do four four laps of a four hundred meter track for, yep. for one mile. Um, the beer mile is just is, is to do a, a, a can of beer every mile. Man, you can do that professionally now. There's guys that are making some serious coin doing the beer mile circuit. It's, well, let me they, find out the record. Yeah, my they record. run fast and uh, you like win like fifty thousand dollars and stuff. Oh, like really? That. It's amazing. It, it, these sponsorship things, it's 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 big. Um, so my suggestion is, Bevan, you got to listen up close to this. Okay. Is we do a um, a beer mile, but it's a we have a relay team. So all the guys there have a relay team, and you've got to run it by yourself, and you've got to have uh, the equivalent amount of fluids of say say warm water or. or Coke or something. Actually, yep. Coke would be better because that's fizzy. Yep. Um, you've got to do Coke, and we've got to do a um, a beer, 
but you've got to go, it's you against four other individuals. So we're running as a relay, you're running individually, but you've got to do it in a wetsuit as well. And oh, we do it, <laughs> and we do it as, as a one-mile race. So Because I'd imagine some of the guys that are coming along mightn't be the fastest. So you've got the advantage there that you're a fast runner. Even if you've got your hamstring issues, you're still, uh, still a fast runner. And so we've got to have four guys that have got to beat you doing, doing beer, you'd do coke. If so you, I have to, it's, you have to do four miles or it's just one mile altogether? One mile, but the, we do it as a relay, so we only have to do 400 metres. And then... Or what I could do is I could pick the teams. So I race every team, but I get to pick the teams. We can we can, we can can think about that. You get you what I mean? So you, everyone you, who... You, you're going to invite a bunch of fat guys to bring in. <laughs> they're not even coming. Your team has got to be strong, I promise, John. <laughs> <laughs> You'll wander, wander around the city central, get the homeless guys off the street. Hey, come along. I'm just having this thing. But the, um, the kicker is that if you don't win... Then you got to do it again against the next uh, the next lineup. Oh really? Oh wow! We, we have several teams uh, re- ready teams to go. <laughs> so that's 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 what I'm thinking. Okay, it sounds like a lot of fun. The, the world record, the current world record, is held by Corey Ballymore. Uh, he Ballymore Lowers is his name. But world record, what do you reckon it would be, Jumbo? Um, I'm gonna say be a mile. So look, if, if you're a good run, a really good runner, you know, you're going sub four minutes. I'm gonna say. Six minutes and fifteen seconds. You are miles off. It's four thirty-four. Man, that's that's impressive, isn't it? I was thinking sort of five thirty, and then I was going, "No, that's just stupid." That's 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 very impressive. Far out, yeah, because really, a can of beer is going to take you at least probably six seconds, seven seconds to drink each round. So you're doing a sub-four-minute mile, really, aren't you? Well, that's what I thought they'd be running. I just didn't think they'd be able to drink that fast. That's impressive, man. Yeah, that is just literally must just be put it opening the can, and that's as fast as the fluid would come out. You know, it just be all going. So I imagine you got to squeeze, you'd be squeezing the can to get it out as well, wouldn't you? You got to have rules about spillage and stuff. Your th- just for a world record, they are. I imagine they're pretty official about it. Mm. Mm. Okay, uh, this week's discussion, well, we'll, we'll, you'll find out in a few weeks what's going to happen to me on my sex too. Um, I'm slightly concerned now because now that you've told me Jeff's got a plan, I didn't even think there'd be anything. I just want to play a game of touch. Oh, he hasn't really got a plan. He's just got one activity that I said that's Thumbs up, thumbs up. Okay, Uh, so John, in his genius thinking, has decided to put a Strava group together for I Am Talk listeners. Uh, and you can go to, I'll put a little show notes, a link to that in the show notes on www.iamtalk.me, but he also put a link to it on our Facebook page recently. And so what we're looking for this week is now that we've got our own Strava group, what are some challenges that the Iron Talk community can do around Strava so we can kind of see who is got the biggest winger for either female or guys <laughs> in our group? <laughs> and that, that's why I want some ideas on this because, you know, there's some people on there that are going to be just training the house down, doing these this crazy amount of training and um, and other people are never going to have a chance. So I was just trying to think if there's any uh, things other, other groups have done, sort of some unique challenges we might be able to do as we go through and we'll try to get a bit of interaction. So if you go to um, www.strava.com slash clubs slash podcast, that'll get you straight there. One thing that Tony Hodge did point out, apparently there is already an Talk group on there that we didn't set up. So oh, really? Make, yeah, make sure, and that had a few members in it. It had like 130 or something in it. Um, make sure you go to the, the Talk one that's got a, it's got a the character of me and Bevan. Um, so you're playing with that, yeah. yeah so, so it's basically a cartoon version of John and I, um, mm. which which the, the guy who did the cartoon, remember years ago, did for us. Yeah, yeah. No, it's co- it's cool little image, but yeah. um, 
Yeah, so if you're going if you go into Strava and search your own talk, you might see two things that come up. But there's the ones that have got the pictures of me and Bevan are the ones that are that are on there. And uh, let's have a quick look and see who's uh, who has the biggest winger this week so far. <laughs> Maybe we <laughs> could have a winger of the week award. Here we yeah. go. <laughs> well, well, that's what that's what we're going to do with this. The winger of the week, and it could be female or male. It was pretty close last week. Um, who's we the winger had, of the week, John? Uh, Tim Ford had the wanger of the week. Oh, Tim Ford's got the wanger of the week. He uh, he did 24 hours and 24 minutes of training last week. Melissa oh, Uri, okay. who was over, she was staying with you, wasn't she? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, she, she, she loves the long stuff. So, yeah, she's yeah. going to. She, oh, she might got, get the wanger quite often. <laughs> she She's probably doing Ultraman or something like that. She did 24 hours and 12 minutes. And then Lou Du Giuseppe. Oh, look at that. He's retired. He says, oh, my back, oh, my knee, oh, I'm, I'm dying, I'm, I'm 50, and in life I can't keep up with you guys. And then he goes and smashes everybody up these climbs in France. He did 20 hours and 14 minutes training. So um, those are your three wangers for the week in terms of duration of training. Mark look at Gillespie. the distance. Good old Gillespie. He's got the distance. He's got the massive wanger of the week. He is. He did 1,688 kilometres of training last week, so it's 1,000 miles. Jeepers, creepers. He's, oh. he's dominant dojo. And then Melissa also got the longest activity, the longest winger of the week, so there we go. Oh, I'm um, loving the winger of the week. So we're, and maybe what we'll do is we'll come up with some different challenges each week or something like that. Where did so I fit in? So last week, oh, no, I'm, I, was, I was ninth. I mean, we've only got, I think we've got about... 73. 70, 73 so far, 73 people. So people sign up. I, I managed the uh, the ninth ninth fastest with my 14 hours and one minute of training. So if I went, I've never done Strava. If I just went and bore a heart rate monitor when I'm teaching my classes, would that count for my wanger of the week? Yes, it would. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm so if, if, if you've got any device that you record, and, and, and this, is, this is not something you need to do, it's not difficult to upload stuff to Strava because if you record any of your information, if you upload it to anything like Training Peaks or, or anything like that, um, you can just link that stuff, link your, your Garmin account through to Strava and it just automatically goes up there. So it's not like it's a manual upload you've got to do and your information just, boom, goes up there. And the cool thing with Strava is... Um, especially if you're new to an area, it can help introduce you to different routes that, you know, you can look at where other people are riding and what have you. And, and certainly the big, uh, the Wanger Awards go for uh, for hill climbs and stuff like that. And, you know, like, for example, I went and did, uh, I did the, these Mount Pleasant hill reps I was doing last week where I bike and run up a hill. I've talked about them on the show before. Um, and it's just a nice place to go to, to check your own progress on how you're doing. I mean, you can compare yourself to others as well, but it's cool for me to, you can go through there and you've got a historical record of, you know, how many times have I done that? climb and how have my times progressed over you know the years so it's a bit like an athletes for your um for your training so you can dick measure but you can also keep a, a record of all your own progress as well so um yeah it's enjoyable so this week what we want to know is we want you to come up with some ideas for challenges that we can use for our winger of the week okay mm. yeah and maybe what we'll do is we'll you can get a we'll, we'll create like a, an image when you get wanger of the week and you can kind of claim your image and put it on your Facebook page. <laughs> Do it with the, the picture of the lycra pants with the banana down your pants. Here we go, there we go. And I'm, there we go, this is, get your Bevan when you're back yeah. in the studio just a couple yeah. of weeks. I'm going to find the biggest banana I can find. We'll get you, we'll both put I am talk gear on and uh, and we'll put the banana down the pants. John, you and I don't even need to put a big banana down our pants. <laughs> this is true, this is true. <laughs> okay, uh, Jombo, uh, age grouper of the, of the week. week. Okay, age so groupers of the week. So okay. the the 
AWA, the All World Athlete, is out now for 2016. From and for those who don't Iron know what Man. that is, it, it, that's basically every year nowadays what Ironman do is they basically have a collection of points for age group athletes around races in the world. And then at the end of the year, they kind of give their rankings who are the top age group athletes in each of the categories. And here's what we have, Jumbo. And also, if you, you know, it's also a percentage based thing. So if you're a gold member, or if you have gold a gold member. member. <laughs> You are in the There's top one percent today, isn't you? <laughs> you're in the top one percent. If you're silver, you're in the top five percent, and if you're a bronze, you're in the top ten percent. So we often talk about um, you know doing the I'm the, the swim caps and all that stuff. And I have actually got the swim caps. We need to start distributing those. But you know, say you're a sub nine hour athlete or a sub ten, etc. So this is one way where you can get a bit of recognition in terms of you you know where you sort of fit in the rankings. Um, now I will say that when they've they've come out with the rankings. Here they have a, a combined um, 70.3 and Ironman, and that's what they call their, their main sort of all world awards. But then they also have Ironman only and 70.3 only. And I will say it's pretty dominated by the Americans. So if we're looking through the females, um, we've got two, four, six, eight, ten, about 14 of the female categories. You know, 10 five year categories are dominated by Americans uh, on the the guys side of things, you got one, two, you got about six or seven of the categories are dominated by Americans. So um, if you want to check out those lists, go to ironman.com and you can look at the all world athlete. Now, often I, you know, this, people don't, you're automatically included in this. It's not something people are putting their hand up going, I want to be part of the, you know, the all world athlete programs. So everybody's in there by default. So I'm not slagging anybody off if I mention anybody's name or anything like that. It's more a case of just observations. But my main gripe with the system is it's all good. Um, but, you know, when you go, Kona is not weighted any heavily, more heavily than any other races or your championship races. Um, so when I look through the, the different categories, it seems to me that, you know, um, of the categories that I looked at, the winners often, they all did three three races. So it's doing three Ironmans in one year, which is, that's a lot of racing. Um, and they would usually win two Ironman races and then of the ones that I looked at then they go to Kona and they certainly wouldn't be be winning Kona so if I look at say the male 35 to 39 which I'm no longer part of that age category um, but the winner there was uh, a guy called Juan Valencia from Colombia so good on him he went and did the North American champs in Texas and won that very impressive eight hours 12 58 remember that is a was a, a a shortened course on the bike so the time doesn't really count then he went off and did Ironman Boulder and won that in 904 another good impressive time but when it came to Kona he was only in 20th place that's not taking anything away from him he went one two two races but uh, that was the same sort of theme that I found in in other races if I look at the 40 male 40 to 44 um, we had a guy called uh, Steve Johnson take that out from America. So well done, Steve. He did Boulder, finished uh, first in his category there in a 9.05. Impressive. He went off and did Ironman Arizona and did 8.48. Awesome, winning his wow. category there. But then in Kona, he was only 19th. So I guess my point here is, you know, it's rewarding people that race a lot, which is fantastic. You've got to be doing three Ironmans, and not everybody does that. Um, but the people that end up winning this sort of year on year, uh, awesome athletes, really, really highly ranked, but they're not often performing in Kona, and uh, and I think would get a better feel for 
who's the best athlete in the world if maybe the regional championships and maybe Kona was weighted more heavily and then uh, the guys that are winning Kona might end up um, being a little bit higher in the rankings. Mm, yeah, you do think it's the case. Uh, also, because I, 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 I'm out of the world, how important is this to, you know, when this kind of concept came out, we, you know, there are, it seemed like it was a little bit motivated behind WTC or what it's called now, Wonder Sports, um, really trying to get more people doing their races. I wonder how, of those people who are listening who are still doing Ironman races, does this actually kind of bring you to the game anymore or does it actually help you anymore or does it motivate you anymore or is it just one of those things you get at the end of the year, you get something, oh, that's kind of cool to look at. I think the latter is, um, I don't think it, it would have a huge motivator for many people, but people are still going to claim it at the end. And, uh, you know, you, you see on Facebook people claiming their go- that, you know, putting their gold image up there if they're a gold member or silver or whatever it might be. And uh, and certainly if you were on the, the podium there, I bet you um, people would be claiming that. And uh, as, you know, you, you'd put that in your little signature line or if you were or if you were uh, um, looking for sponsors or anything like that, you'd, you'd certainly be claiming that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, good on the people that, that took it out. It's kind of fun and interesting, isn't it? But I do agree. I think if they weighted it more towards the champion, the more more important races, because we do want to see, you know, to me, you want the best person at the top, don't you? Exactly. Yeah. Not taking nothing away from those who won. Well done, legends. Okay, stats. Fantastic. It's, it's fantastic. Like I say, Gwen Jorgensen, she's up the Duff John. Yeah. By Laura Duffy. And uh, and so ITU record. So we're just looking at some of the stats around her record since she's been racing in the ITU. And you've kind of almost broken it down to the latter part of her career as well. So in the first part of her career, she's raced 67 races, podium 37, 39 times. And then she's 126. But since 2014, this is pretty interesting. 21. Do you know how many races? Is this all the races? This is this is basically her ITU career. So those first stats Bevan said is this doesn't include any races outside of the ITU. This is ITU races. So six, since she's started triathlon and at the ITU level, sixty-seven starts, thirty-nine podiums, and twenty-six wins. But since two thousand and fourteen, she's had twenty-five races. She's won twenty-one, two seconds, and two thirds. That is phenomenal. It's amazing. That I really just, is, isn't it? Especially in a sport like this, you know, to have some, that's freakish, isn't it? Mm. And uh, yeah, 20, so tw- as Bevan said, 25 starts. I looked, she had one blip, one blip there. This is why I started in late April 2014. The first race in the the, the year, the 2014 year was uh, in Auckland and that was a really challenging course. And I remember her getting dropped on that bike ride and thinking, oh, you know, she's an amazing runner. I think she, I can't remember what place she ran up to. It was maybe third or something like that. But yeah, you know, again, I'd said, uh, probably said in that podcast, you know, she's, she, whenever this comes to, you know, big bunch races and stuff and reasonably not untechnical courses, she's just going to run, run away with all these races. But if you, if you throw the, throw a few hills and stuff in there, she's going to be smoked. But as we saw in Rio and consistently now, no matter what the course is, she's, she's just amazingly dominant. So yeah, 21 wins out of 25 in three seasons is amazing. So, was that uh, race the one where you got angry with the other participant? We just got beat someone up. What, sorry, what was that? Was that race? Remember when you were in Auckland, you got angry at some guy and you just about beat him up? Remember? 
Remember that story? You were you went up to Auckland to watch the race, and someone kept oh, yelling yeah, something. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Remember that? Was that yeah. yeah, it was random when some guy was trying to call a Johnny Brownlee a drugs cheat. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's as close as I've got to fisticuffs in the last fifteen years. <laughs> I would have clocked that guy. He was just a knob. He was basically on the sidelines yelling at Johnny Brownlee, saying he's drugs cheat, and he thought he was kind of cool for doing it. And he wasn't wasn't like he was some youth or something doing that. Go, oh, you're a bit of a dick. But this was a guy who was you know he was probably sixty odd, and I think he was there with his son going, "You're a cheat, you're a drugs cheat, Johnny Brownlee. You're on the juice." And so I just had to go up to him and say, mate. Oh, did you actually go up to him? Oh, hell yeah. No, because <laughs> yes. uh, the first time I heard it, I thought, surely, surely not. A mature person doing that, you're a, you're a yeah, I'm, I'm hearing things. You, I must have just heard something different. I need to get my ears checked. And then I listened to it again. He did it because it was a multi-lat course and he did it again. And see, so after his second time, I just went up and told him, I just, I just let rip. And, uh, he disappeared and he was, he was, he was backpedaling. He knew it was a complete tall and he started backpedaling and then he, uh, he disappeared Houston lays down the law what's, what's this yes. about this last bit you got here the, what, what sort of those results sound is that what her first oh this is you, you've, you've got me into the Apple world and I agree 99% of the time I'm very happy in the Apple world but pages pages it's really hard to put images they keep moving and stuff when you put things into pages oh do you know okay I'll teach you a trick here John when you're in pages you go you click on the image, it's got style image arrange, mm-hmm. and then you click on arrange, and when it says text wrap, go from automatic to none, and then you can do whatever right. you want with it. There you go. There's, there's there you Bevan's, go. There's Bevan's Apple today. That go. is a frustrating feature, so I'm happy you told me about that. Yeah, because it makes a big difference. Okay, Jombo, let's, do you want to do an interview now? Uh, yep, so we're going to have uh, Joe Friel coming up. So I interviewed him about a week ago, just talking around the latest triathletes training bible that's now out. You'll be able to get that through VeloPress or uh, through Amazon, or in just you know just do a search for triathletes training bible. And uh, you look, I, I pulled the, the book. I've got the old version of that in my office, and uh, I pulled it out just before I was going to have a chat to him. And you look through, and it's it's Joe Friel's got a really nice way of putting things into words, technical things in, 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 an, in a way that's easy to understand. You know, there's lots of brainiacs that know all the same stuff as Joe in terms of power and, and different training methodologies and techniques. And, and there's just so much data out there these days. But I kind of find with Joe that he manages to put it into sort of common speak so we can all kind of understand it. So um, yeah, he's really upgraded the book and you're going to hear all about what he's done and what's different to the original now. Okay, here is Joe Frill. Okay, guys, um, one of the most know, prolific, but one of the early writers of our sport who helped form a lot of coaching principles that many of the coaches around the world still follow um, was based on the Triathletes Training Bible by Joe Friel. Um, he's been on the show before you guys have heard from him, but the Triathletes Training Bible has now been re-released, um, all updated for... For, for the current times and all the gadgets that we've got these days. So we thought we'd get Joe on to sort of explain how the book has developed. And I've got my old copy sitting on the sitting on the table here that I thought I'd have a browse through. So I think most coaches around the world have probably or should have a copy of it. So um, welcome back to the show, Joe. Hi, John. Thanks. Looking forward to it. Um, now, I looked, I was wondering when you released this book and the copy that I've got, I'm not sure if it was the original, was... Uh, was it 1998 when the when the first uh, edition came out, or was it before then? Actually, before that, I think it was about 96 when the first one came out. Uh, yeah. You may have the second edition. I'm not sure though. Yeah, when, when you did the first one, was it um, how big a project was it? Because it's a you know it's a good sized book and it really covers all your bases. How long did it actually take to compile? <laughs> 
Well, the first book, that, that was the very first book I'd ever written. So that by itself, I had some time to it. But it took me about nine months. It was kind of like giving birth, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and um, right now, obviously, things have moved on a lot since then. And one of the biggest things will be, you know, the te- technology side of um, side of the sport. And you know, we've still got to go out there and swim, bike, run, and and I'd imagine a lot of the training principles that you prescribe in there are still similar, but things have just moved on a bit. So, I guess the first question I have is um, Tim Noakes, who I know I think has contributed on some of your other books. Um, yeah, he's got the the law of running, and um, when we've interviewed him or people have listened to interviews that he's done, he's said, you know, there's, there's certain chapters there, especially on nutrition and hydration, he says, just tear them out of the book. Don't read them, tear it out of the book and throw it away. It's all changed. Yeah. Um, has anything like that happened with the, the triathletes training Bible, or has it been more of an updating process? I would guess it's more of an updating um there's not really been things that have changed like along the lines what you're talking about with, with Tim. That's, that's really kind of a, of a dramatic shift in something he had said uh, in, in the original book. My book doesn't really have anything like that in there. It's um, The primary thing that's happening here is I tried to make the book uh, uh, bring it up to date in terms of topics like like power-based training, which in the original book was not described hardly at all. There's very, very little on it. Mm. Pace-based training for running, that wasn't in the original book at all. And uh, so those things have been added. It's it's been a lot of individualization of the book, uh, designed in such a way that the person can make decisions based on what they know about themselves, and therefore design a, a better training plan for themselves. Uh, and lots of little things that go along with that, uh, such as refined workouts, more explanation of things that have to do with testing, for example, and. Uh, smoother ways of, of training, better ways to analyze data. So, so a lot of little things, but nothing that's like gigantic along the lines of what uh, Tim is describing for his book. Mm. So obviously, powers for, for triathletes these days and for cyclists is is a massive part of many people's training, and sometimes their detriment they completely live or die by the power meter and and kind of lose that. You know, the, the, sometimes the um, the feelings that they're supposed to be getting out there and perceived effort, because we know that on race day sometimes, you know, power meters can can stop working. And I use mine yeah. every day, um, but I'd like to think that if I rolled out to a race, that I've got a pretty good uh, grasp on what the intensity that I should be going out there at. So I guess for the power junkies out there, you know, how much detail do you go into power in the book? And um, is there things like um, you know different power workouts? And you, you sort of talked about testing, so maybe sort of just go into that. A little bit more detail. Yeah, the um, uh, as far as as far as those are really really uh, uh, closely tied to the power meters or the heart rate monitors, for that example, or their pace based you know GPS devices for running. Um, the um, um, one thing I always recommend to people to athletes is that they become they need to become very good at perceived exertion, uh, regardless of what how many devices they may have. They've got to be able to sense uh, how they're doing based on how they feel. So I've had athletes in the past, for example, put a piece of tape over their their power meter mm. and and do a workout without being able to see the data. But later on, we can view it and see how it came out relative to what they thought was going on. Like a steady, you know, a good example that's a steady state uh, ride, like in zone two or zone three, and not real hard, but does it really feel like it's that zone? And then when you look at the power data, afterwards you can see how closely calibrated your RPE is. 
So um, stuff like that. But it, you know, obviously, you've got to learn. You've got to learn how to use RPE because if your battery dies during the race, you're mm-hmm. kind of like stuck. If you never never have used RPE, so that that's that's always the starting place for becoming a good athlete is learning to to use your perceived exertion to to gauge intensity. Hmm. Uh, another thing that, that is in the um, in the original training diary uh, training training bible, and, and I know it was on the sort of the release that came out is is around skill development, and you know a lot of us athletes go out there and we train well. You know, you go out there and you do do your intervals and you do your long rides and your long runs, but um, often don't pay a lot of attention to skill development. Maybe in the pool, people do a few more drills and stuff, but on the bike and the run, it's often somewhat, something that's somewhat lacking. So can you maybe explain um, in how much detail and what sort of skill work is um, in, you know, enclosed in the book? Yeah, um, the book is, is based on um, several philosophies and methodologies. One of the... Um, um, philosophies has to do with how how I define the, the types of workouts athletes can do pre- to prepare for for a competition. There, there are six categories I use, um, and uh, one of those is called speed skills, which is something that needs to happen very very early in the in the training process. Um, you know, in the, in the early start of the build up to the, the beginning of a new season, the athlete needs to refine skills. Uh, to improve their performance. And, and athletes generally know, I shouldn't say that, athletes sometimes know if, if their skills are good or bad. Uh, unfortunately, they don't always know that. Uh, usually they know in the pool because they've gotten some feedback from somebody in the pool, and, and swimming is very highly skill-oriented. So, you know, really that's the starting place is knowing where your skills are. If you're not sure, then have somebody who's who's a coach, especially, or an instructor in that sport, uh, watch the athlete um, swimming, biking, running, and give feedback on their skills. The most likely to have, to, to have need is uh, swimming, since it's primarily a, a skill activity. Um, if you spend more time on work, if at, triathletes spent more time working on their swimming skills and less time working on their fitness in the pool, they'd be far better off in terms of race performance in, mm. in, in the water. Um, cycling is not quite that way, but yet there's still some skills that go into it, mostly a pedaling skill. And I address that in the book with drills that can be done to improve um, pedaling technique. Um, but somehow the athlete needs to determine whether or not they've gotten good te- pedaling technique. And again, there's having somebody look at them. Usually that person is a would be best as a uh, bike fitter who can look at somebody's skills and make adjustments to uh, accommodate uh, where their skills are right now and give suggestions on how they can make improvements in pedaling skills. Running generally has a great deal of room for improvement for most age group athletes, although I have to say, since I wrote the original book, there's been a tremendous improvement in running skills among triathletes. It used to be horrible. Uh, Mm -hmm. When I would go to triathlons, especially long course triathlons, uh, running technique was awful. And anymore, when I go to to a long course triathlons or any triathlons, I'm quite impressed with how far uh, running technique has come among triathletes. So yeah, so that that's a big area of, of concern. It's something that should be worked on very early in the season before you really start working on really anything else. There's no reason to work on becoming aerobically fit if you've got bad skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, skills that come first. That's number one. 
What, what in terms of you, you talked about the biking and um, pedaling efficiency, etc. There, you know, we often get questions as around cadence. You know, what's your your general advice on cadence? Because there's, there's you know there's a couple of schools of thought. You know, some people go out there and ride at a very low cadence, and you know they see people like. Um, I don't know, maybe Caroline Stephan or Daniela Reef or someone like that riding at a, maybe not so much Daniela Reef, but they ride at quite a low cadence. Um, and then we obviously see other athletes that are very successful professionals that are riding at a very high cadence. So for the age, you know, the typical age grouper, you know, do you have any generic advice around cadence on what you prefer to see? Yeah, I can offer some suggestions there. First of all, it's highly individualized. There's no particular cadence that's best for everybody or even necessarily a, a narrow range of cadences that is best for everybody. There are only possibilities of cadences, and it has to do with something called economy. Um, there are three things you can you can talk about when you talk about fitness, uh, VO2 max, uh, anaerobic threshold, that's percentage of VO2 max, and then finally economy. Uh, those are the big three when it comes to fitness. Economy has to do with how much energy you waste, basically. And uh, the longer the race is, like an Ironman distance race, um, if you're wasting even a little bit of energy pedaling the bike, then it becomes a gigantic loss of energy over the course of several hours. So that, that's critical. Um, but just to give you a rough idea, um, what I've discovered in working with athletes over the years is that even working with the same athlete, if I take um, one athlete and have them do who, who, by the way, is very, a very good athlete, not a novice or somebody who's just learning how to do this, but somebody who's well-established, an advanced mm -hmm. athlete, uh, perhaps an elite athlete. And if we have this athlete do an Olympic distance race and also do an Ironman distance race, we'll find their cadence is more than likely going to be higher for the Olympic distance race than it is for the, for the Ironman distance race. Mm -hmm. That just seems to be something that happens with athletes. I'm sure there are exceptions, but I see that so often when I look at athletes' data from both types of races, short races and, and long course races. So that's a starting place is it's highly individualized um, um, and it's probably dependent somewhat on the duration of the race. And I might also add that um, if you don't think about it, you'll be, you'll, you'll come to what is right now the most economical cadence for you as an individual, if you don't think about it. Doesn't mean it's best, it just means it's best for you right now economy-wise. You don't waste as much energy as if you try to start um, focusing on your cadence to make it either higher or lower. If you try to do that, typically what happens is you become uneconomical in the short term. In the long term, that may prove beneficial. If somebody's got a ridiculously slow cadence, let's say 45 RPM when they're riding any distance race, uh, we probably should bring it up. Mm -hmm. I can't offer what that person's uh, cadence should be but I can suggest that it needs to be higher than in the 40s. And um, I know when that person starts to try to increase their cadence over time by th concentrating on it and, and working at a higher cadence, they're going to become very un uneconomical at first. They're going to waste a lot of energy, in other words. But as their body adapts, um, what will happen is they will, uh, they'll become more economical over time. Uh, they'll know they're uneconomical at first because their heart rate monitor is going to give them feedback telling them their, their heart rate's higher than it normally is for this power output, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but over time, it's going their body's going to adapt, and and this is going to happen no matter what the sport may be. It could be it could be swimming, obviously the same thing, 
or running or golf or tennis or whatever you want to talk about, what you're doing right now is the most economical because you do it all the time. As soon as you start trying to change it, you become uneconomical short term, but long term you may improve. It just depends on on how far you have to go to uh, to improve to get to the point that uh, you decide, okay, this is this is my this is the level I want to be at, and therefore um, I'm going to settle in right now. So so yeah, so scale is very critical. It's always it's always um, a big decision to make a change in how the person pedals the bicycle. But sometimes that needs to be done. Mm. No, you've got to be in it for the long term. Now, I know one area we've discussed with you in the past, um, and that it's, uh, I'd imagine, still a good hot topic for you, is strength and conditioning, um, especially for, for the aging athletes. So um, do you address this in the book, and can people expect to go in there and actually find enough um, strength and conditioning work to, you know, to f- fulfill their, sort of, uh, their needs in that regard? Yeah, I've updated that that uh, that chapter uh, considerably. There's been dr- dramatic changes made in that chapter. I've tried to make it much more focused. Um, you know, one of the things that's become obvious to me over the years is that triathletes um, are busy as hell. Mm. Uh, they've got so many things going on in their lives, trying to fit in swim, bike, and run workouts, and also strength workouts can sometimes be a uh, can sometimes be more than they can they can manage. So if it comes right down to it, if I have to make if I have to make decisions about how I spend my time, uh, I'm a triathlete. I'll spend more of it swimming, biking, and running than I will lifting weights. But that's not to say that lifting weights isn't isn't hasn't got some advantages to it or things that can benefit the athlete. It's more a matter of how much time can I devote to it. So I tried to get it boiled down as tightly as I could to what the athlete should be working on. Um, must be working on in some cases. Some athletes are really very, uh, very weak. And so consequently, that chapter got a lot of attention. Not I addressed it not only from the point of view of weight room weightlifting, traditional weightlifting, but also um, sport-specific uh, uh, strength training. So, for example, on the bike, strength training on your bike as opposed to in a weight room. Uh, strength training for running as opposed to while running as opposed to in a weight room sort of thing mm-hmm. and so there's suggestions all the way through on how to do that um, which will save the athlete a considerable amount of time if they really can't fit in uh, gym time at all but if they can fit in gym time then the workouts have been refined considerably from what they were in the original book nice fantastic um now, if, if if people are listening to this, and, and, and you know the, the original book, there's, there's there's plenty of theory in there as well. It certainly wouldn't go to the same extreme as uh, the law of running, which is you know that's a gigantic book to and, and it takes uh, some time to sort of get your head around and get stuck into it. But if people are listening to this and they're actually going, well, does it actually have training programs in there? Can I pick this book up and, and figure out the skill work and, and, and technique and so on and um, do some strength and conditioning? But is there much actual training programs where you can go, okay, I've, I know I've, I'm 12 weeks out from an Ironman. Are they going to be able to go in there and actually go, okay, this is what I need to follow or is it sort of more generic advice? The purpose of the book is to help the athlete design their own training program so that it's uh, appropriate uh, for their unique situation. Um, training plans don't fit very well with that kind of a, of a philosophy or methodology of, of training. Uh, so it's not, it's not a training plan. You just can't buy a book and open up the book and tells you um, what workouts to do. 
uh, it, this book is written in such a way that you have to first of all decide what your, for example, your limiters are, and that's that's a very important topic in terms of my coaching philosophy. Uh, limiters are race-specific weaknesses. Uh, for example, uh, an athlete may have may not be very good at climbing hills on a bike, but if the race the athlete is doing has no hills, it's, it's not a limiter. It's a weakness, but it's not a limiter. But if the athlete is doing a, a hilly course, now it becomes a limiter. So, so knowing things like that, and, and the number of limiters is, uh, there are quite a few uh, for each sport, and uh, so the athletes got to make that decision. First of all, what are my limiters? What's holding me back? What's standing between me and success? My goals, what's standing between me and achieving my goal? And once they know that, then the book talks them through the process of setting up their own training program so that they can address those limiters by the best use of their time, for example. Um, not everybody's got a lot of time to, uh, to, uh, to put in like the pros do with training you know, 20 to 30 hours a week or even more sometimes. And so consequently, uh, knowing what their what their needs are helps them to focus on what they need to be, what their workouts should be, and how they're going to design a training plan through, for their unique situation, like how many weeks have I got until my race, and therefore how do I need to set up my training plan so that I arrive on race day um, fit and in, and in on form and ready to ready to go. So that's what the book is about. It's, it's really a book about self-coaching, not a book of just training plans. Mm. Excellent, cool. Um, the final sort of question I've got around the um, around the training bible book is is and, and I'm not sure how much hands-on coaching you're still doing at the moment, but I've you know I've been coaching now for full time for probably about 12, 13 years, and I've certainly noticed a shift in the athletes in terms of as you mentioned before the the amount of time they've they've got or choose to make available for training. Everybody says they're busy, but it's all choices at the end of the day. But I'm finding that there's a, definitely a shift from, you know, I say originally I used to have athletes that maybe trained sort of between 15 and maybe up to 20 hours a week age group athletes. Now there's, it seems to me is much more of a shift where people can only often do, say, between 10 and maybe up to 15 hours, and a lot of them closer to that 10-hour mark. So do you have any sort of, you know, and, and we often get questions, you know, I've only got 10 hours to train, you know, what, what should I be doing? And I'm in this sort of the final 12 weeks through to an Ironman. So have you got any sort of general advice you, you give to people that um, are doing, say, an iron distance race or a or a half-distance race, and they are quite time-crunched. You know, what, what do you feel are the most important things for them to be doing? Yeah, that's certainly a problem. And I talk to people all the time who um, are faced with that situation. That's, that's, that's quite common. Um, but I see also talk to people uh, frequently who have succeeded. They've, they've done it. You know, they've done an Ironman on whatever, 10 hours a week or something like that, or even less in some cases. So things can be done. The human body is amazing what can accomplish um, if, if things are done in a way which is beneficial for the athlete's performance. The first, the first point I would make to those person, people who are, who are training for uh, long course races and don't have much time is the shift needs to be toward focus. Since, this, since we obviously are doing away with volume, if volume is being cut back, the only thing you have left is intensity. So you need to, you need to make your workouts more intense. So I would suggest in that case that a lot more uh, for long course races, a lot more um, anaerobic threshold or, or lactate threshold inter workouts intervals should be included in the training. That will bring uh, significant improvement for the athlete without a lot, a lot of time to be devoted to it. And that um, one of those workouts is, some, is a workout that's done uh, as intervals. 
uh, fairly long intervals. It could be anywhere from, uh, let's say, five minutes to 12 minutes long, or perhaps even longer. Sometimes I've had athletes do 20-minute intervals. just depends on the athlete. Mm. Um, but the intensity for those is going to be somewhere just below the threshold, uh, lactate or anaerobic threshold, if the athlete knows what theirs um, is. And, and um, that can be determined. The book talks about how to determine your threshold. There's also something called a functional threshold, which is very similar to anaerobic or lactate thresholds. It can be found with, a, with an easy field test um, for each of the sports. And uh, those tests are described in the book. Um, so once you find your threshold, then doing workouts just below that threshold, say as much as 10% below that threshold, a good example, let's take um, cycling. If an athlete's got a power meter on, on the bike uh, and their threshold is uh, 200 watts, we'll say, uh, we, they may be able to do, they, they could do intervals that are around 190 watts and uh, 180 to 190 watts. Uh, that would be around their, just below their functional threshold by around 10% or less. And uh, long intervals like that with very short recoveries, usually one-fourth as long as a preceding interval. So if you did a 12-minute interval, you might follow it up with a three-minute recovery. Um, and doing intervals like that will build fitness really quite nicely for the athlete who is time crunched. So I think that's the that's critical is 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 devoting more time to the uh, somewhat higher intensities than might be or otherwise trained for had the athlete uh, had more time to train. The other issue is they've got to know what their limiters are. They can't waste any time. <clears throat> uh, there's no reason to be working on things that aren't limiters if that's the case. If you're a poor climber, you got to climb. Mm. If you're swimming as poor, you got to spend as much time as you can swimming, working on skills. Um, so figuring out what your limiters are becomes the more critical, the less time you have to, to spend. If you've got 30 hours to train, you can make all kinds of mistakes in your training. You can do almost anything you want, and you're going to be fine. But if you've got 10 hours to train, you're doing an Ironman distance race, you really don't have time for, for mistakes. You've got to get everything nailed down just right. Otherwise, it's, you're just not going to pull it off. I love how you said um, there's an easy test you can go and do for, to, to ascertain your um, threshold out on the bike. I'd say it's an easy test to, um, in terms of time, but the actual partaking of the test is not particularly easy. <laughs> no, you're right there. The test, the test is, is physically challenging, but not as, uh, not, as uh, not complicated. Yeah, fantastic. So, guys, the, the book is the, tri the Triathletes Training Bible. You'll be able to get it through Valo Press or all um, all your regular retailers, Amazon, etc. Um, but I did just want to ask a couple of questions. We've, we've had you on the show before about fast after fifty, how to race strong for the rest of your life, um, and you've got a whole bunch of contributors in there from Tim Noakes and uh, John Howard and Larry, Larry Creswell and Gail Bernard and Mark Allen and so on. Um, I guess I think it was maybe a good year or maybe even two years ago that we interviewed you on um, on that book. So, just it, it's it's probably still a work in progress as you as you keep aging yourself and finding out different things. But you know, f uh, for the older athlete, and it's kind of um, you've just sort of mentioned about the time crunched athlete maybe increasing the intensity. You know, what are you finding with with the, the over fifties and over sixties and so on? Um, often it's a case of you know, you need more recovery between sessions, but is that a myth or is that actually what you're finding in your own personal practice and what you, you advise these days? Uh, yeah, let me, let me give you a kind of a personal example of that. When I was in college, early 20s, uh, I ran uh, track and 
my coach knew one workout, and we did it every day. <laughs> uh, that workout was what I used to call intervals till you puke. Yeah. Um, basically, he, he had his friend 400-meter um, uh, intervals uh, all out. There was never any indication of how fast they should be. Just run them as fast as you can. That's all he talked about. So you'd run these intervals as fast as you possibly could, and you never knew how many you were going to do. You could wind up doing five or six, or you might wind up doing 18 or 20. You had no idea when the workout started. So this was all a great mystery to everybody on the track team, but this was, you know, the coaches, this was coaching science back in those days. Uh, this is the 1960s, by the way. <laughs> and uh, so those workouts were grueling, and we did them every day. You know, five, and those days, by the way, you didn't train on the weekends. So it was five days a week, and then you had Saturday and Sunday off every, every week. So five days a week, I would do that workout track season. Um, now, at 73 years of age, if I did that workout once in a week, that would pretty well waste me for the rest of the week. Mm. Uh, so you're exactly right. Uh, as you get older, uh, recovery becomes uh, more difficult. It takes longer. So you've got to be very cautious with your expenditure of energy. You can't get carried away and do things that are crazy. Otherwise, it's going to take too long to recover from it. You're going to wind up, in the long term, losing more fitness than you gain from the hard workout. So, yeah, that's critical. And it all comes down to, uh, number one, uh, understanding your body. What, what can I manage? And that sometimes has to do with injuries. Uh, older athletes are prone to injuries also. So you've got to know what you can handle. But number two is um, you've got to be patient. Uh, most athletes are not. Even when they get older, they're still not patient. They still want, you know, if I, if I tell an athlete that one of the best workouts you could do would be to build up to doing, let's say, five times three minutes at uh, your aerobic capacity or VO2 max pace or power um, in your sport, um, so three-minute intervals, five times three minutes at that intensity with 90-second uh, recoveries after each one. And I said, okay, I think you ought to build up that over a few weeks. What the athlete would do is the very first day they would go out and they would do exactly that workout. They've never done it before in their lives, but they're going to start out doing five times three minutes with 90-second recoveries at extremely high, to high intensity. What happens? Well, they get injured. And then they say, well, the inter I can't do intervals. That's that's the problem. I get injured every time I do them. Well, obviously, because you're not patient. Mm. Patience is the key to performance. Uh, most athletes don't gr fully grasp that, that issue, and that's why most people need a coach, is because they just cannot keep themselves under control. They're, they're greedy. Mm. And so, consequently, they must be held back. And as a coach, that was always my biggest job with age group athletes was to hold them back not let them do too much. I might start them out, instead of doing five times three minutes the first time we did that workout, we may start off doing two times 30 seconds hmm. with 30 seconds recovery after each one. We'll see how that how they recover from that after a few days. And then over time, I'll gradually increase that workout. And eventually over the course of several weeks, perhaps even months, they'll eventually arrive at five times three minutes with 90 second recoveries. Uh, but that's going to take a long time. It's not going to be the sort of thing we start out doing immediately. But, but try to convince an athlete to do it that way is, is extremely difficult. They want to start immediately at the high end and then blame the workout for their for their injury or, or, or burnout. Fantastic. So what's on the agenda for you for, um, for 2017? You know, and maybe athletically and scholastically, you know, what, are you, what are you hoping to achieve this year? Well, the two big things right now, number one, I'm, uh, I'm writing another book, uh, which I'm on chapter 
about halfway through, I'll be halfway through probably the end of this month. It's the, the very first book I ever wrote was called the Cyclist Training Bible. Uh, same concept as the Triathletes Training Bible, uh, just written for road cyclists, uh, time trialists, and so forth. And um, that book was written in 19, started writing that book in 1995. And uh, I've decided to rewrite that entire book also, just as I have done with the Triathletes Training Bible. So I'm in the process of that right now. The second thing is uh, I'm going to be traveling a lot more in the coming year, doing a lot more um, speaking around the world, actually. Mm. Uh, I think I did like maybe five or six, possibly seven such talks in, in 2016. In 2017, we've right now got got uh, uh, 15 that are tentatively, 16 that are tentatively scheduled. And so I'll be doing a lot more traveling, a lot more speaking um, to uh, to athletes and coaches um, around the world in, in this year. Well, hopefully you've got some nice exotic locations you're going to. Yeah, we're going to a lot of places. Not New Zealand right now, unfortunately. Yeah. That's that's on my list of places I want to get to. But right now, not not planned for this year. Australia, though. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, Canberra probably and Sydney, I would guess. I don't know exactly when off the top of my head what that schedule is, what month that is, but um, that's on the on the uh, list right now, along with South Africa, um, uh, Madrid, Spain uh, next month, um, uh, Belgium, UK, um, uh, Chile in South America, uh, several places in the U.S. Um, and I can't think of all the others off the top of my head, but, right. but quite a bit of travel going on in this next year. But I, I really enjoy uh, meeting with coaches and athletes and, and talking with them um, about uh, what they're experiencing, what ideas they're coming up with. I learn a lot of stuff from athletes and coaches, mm. uh, pretty smart people, pretty sharp. And mm. so consequently, it's always fun for me. Not only do I get to explain what I'm thinking right now, but I get to hear what they're thinking also, which makes it a, a great experience. Fantastic. So if people want to follow what you're doing, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, I'm sorry, you broke up just if, very slightly. If, say that again? if people want to follow you in terms of, is it uh, Twitter or Facebook or website? Oh, yeah, sure. Or what's the best way for them to follow what you're up to? Yeah, the best place is probably my blog, um, com. That's J-O-E-F-R-I-E-L-S-B-L-O-G.com. And um, I, I made a, a, a New Year's resolution to uh, uh, post more frequently this year. And this is January, and I've already posted twice, which is nice. uh, quite a, considerably more than I've done in the previous months. Yeah. So, uh, um, so that's the best place to not only find out what, uh, what's going on in terms of stuff I'm, I'm at least thinking about and stuff I'm reading about, but also a good place if you have a question, if you want to just ask something about one of the topics on one of those blogs to to ask the question and i'll respond back there so that's probably the best place second best place may be a twitter mm -hmm. uh i'm on twitter every day um answering questions for athletes and offering suggestions on things that have to do with training so that may be another good possibility and my uh, twitter account is uh j-f-r-i-e-l j-friel nice Fantastic, guys. Well, we'll have um, we'll have links to those books. So you've got uh, the Triathletes Training Bible um, and Fast After 50, How to Race Strong for the Rest of Your Life um, on the show on the website. And um, Joe, as always, thanks so much for your time. And we look forward to 
hearing about your future books further down the track. Thanks very much, John. I'm happy to, uh, to have talked with you and look forward to doing it again sometime. John, your thoughts? Yeah, it's great. You know, he's, he's a prolific uh, author, and as you heard, he's you know, now going to come out with the, the cyclist version of the Training Bible that he that he originally came out with as well. So he's certainly getting, uh, you know, he's he's an aged athlete now. And, and as we heard in the interview, you know, we interviewed Joe a while ago about his um, the, his other book about uh, for athletes 50, over yep. over fifty, yeah. uh, fast over fifty. Um, so yeah, very knowledgeable guy, and and yeah, the book really did need to be dragged, dragged forward. You know, with so many people having power meters and um, running, you know, GPS devices, etc. But I think he still keeps uh, keeps things in perspective. And um, as we discussed, you know, you still all the tools are absolutely fantastic, and they can help you train and come along hugely. But you still need to be using them to learn more about what your body's capable of, and and you need to be ready for those days where you don't have your devices and you can still go out, go out there and do the job. Still do the ads, John. The, the devices don't do the ads for you. Okay, Jonbo, coaches corner. corner. Okay, so George Rennell sent through a really interesting article. So he's just basically sent through a message just saying he found a study that was looking at the difference between the power on a trainer and outdoor cycling. And John, do you want to talk yeah. to the study? So it's a, the it's by a guy called or guy or girl called Miras Hirsch and Slivka, and they did it's a physiological and psychological responses to outdoor versus indoor indoor training, and it's in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning um, from 2014. It looks like edition 28. The purpose of the study was to determine the physiological and psychological responses to laboratory versus outdoor cycling. 12 recreational trained male cyclists participated in an initial descriptive training session and two experimental trials consisting of one laboratory and one outdoor session in a randomized order. Participants were given a standardized statement instructing them to give the same perceived effort for both the laboratory and outdoor 40-kilometer time trials. So you had to do an indoor and an outdoor 40k test. Variables measured including power output, heart rate, core temperature, skin temperature, body temperature, urine-specific gravity, rating of perceived exertion, attentional uh, focus, and environmental conditions. Wind speed was higher on the outdoor trial than the laboratory, obviously, um, whereas other environmental conditions were similar. This is a really interesting one. So what you're doing here, guys, is you, you're doing a one-hour time trial, but often when you're doing time trials and what have you, you've got all your devices there and you can use that to egg you on. But my understanding of this is you do an hour time trial and you're just doing it off perceived effort so yeah okay. you, you know so you can't go oh, come on i've got to hold 300 watts i've got to yeah. hold 300 watts yeah. you're just doing it on perceived effort which makes it incredibly difficult to do um but it's cool test and power output was uh for the outside was 208.1 watts plus or minus 10.2 and then versus outdoors only 163.4 plus or minus 11.8 watts so it's a massive difference between the two and heart rate equally was quite different with 152 watt beats plus or minus four when you were outdoor versus 143 when you were indoor um, so big differences there and um, there were differences in skin temperature was cooler during the outdoor temperature um, 
31.4 degrees when they're outdoor versus 33 indoor and that creates a larger thermal gradient between the core and the skin outdoors. No significant differences in body weight um, and the other things they measured. The data indicates that outdoor cycling allows cyclists to exercise at a higher intensity than laboratory cycling despite similar environmental conditions and perceived exertion. In light of this, cyclists may want to ride at a higher perceived exertion in indoor settings to acquire the same benefit as they would from an outdoor ride. So yeah, I just thought that was really interesting that clearly from that test, granted this is only 12 people, it's a you know pretty small, small test, but it really goes to show that when you think you're working working um, really, really hard indoors, you're often not working as hard as what you would uh, you would be outdoors. So you need to, to pump up your game a bit. So, But, but um, in saying that, is this test kind of cancelled out because we do have devices when we train? It, 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 I, I agree. But so I guess it's a, it's a message for the people that, that don't, you know, if, if you've just got a standard uh, wind trainer and you get on there and you just ride when you're you're indoors and you th- you feel like you're putting in the same effort, um, you need to, to up your game if you want to be putting out the same, you know, level of exertion that you would when you're outside. So I thought it was really interesting. I think um, what you probably would have found that if you, if the test had been a bit shorter, you know, like a your, your sort of standard 20 minute time trial or, or a 16 kilometer slash 10 mile time trial, I think you'd find the results are a little bit closer to do a 40 kilometer time trial indoors without devices my god i just think that mentally that would be so difficult i mean a 40 kilometer time trial outside is, is really really challenging but when you've got you know you've got the scenery to not necessarily focus on but just a few other distractions um i just think doing an indoor test without devices would be just brutally difficult um so yeah i also, guess the, it gives you something like it does give you something to focus on when you've got your devices isn't it that's the thing is that you it's a great kind of intensity gauge that you can use so you can be wiser in the way you're doing things but also you are thinking about what's happening in front of you instead of kind of just the fight of the game really isn't it it kind of distracts mm. you yeah and i guarantee no, no i'll get, guarantee that most of the people in this test and most of us that if we were to go and do a time trial without our devices it would be you would see the power decrease and i think that was one of the cool things when power meters started to come out is you often saw that as people that thought they were putting an even effort in through a bike ride would actually find that their power output was actually decreasing the further they went through the ride in most cases so um yeah just a cool little study that really identifies that uh, those tools can really help you through um, indoor training sessions and and, and uh, yeah I just thought it was interesting so thanks for sending that through York I've got to say John I've got a little challenge for you next time you do 20 minute FTP or something just mm-hmm. cover up your power meter just see how you go okay I'll do that when I do it with you yep game on tomorrow I'm there yeah. Tomorrow I'm coming down from Auckland. Anyway, website of the week. Good old Pete Colson sent through this one. He's basically sent through a list from YouTube. So if you don't know on YouTube, what people who put content up on YouTube can do is they can create a list. So they can create a, a series of movies or videos that you can watch at any time you want. And there's one that's a really good one. It's lots of kind of endurance sports, cycling documentaries really, isn't it? Yeah, so it's a pretty straightforward little link we have on there. Hopefully most of these links are still up there, but it's got the, the race across America. It's got a um, bunch of uh, things on it. Our mate Lance as well, and uh, Lance's Ride of a Lifetime in 2005 by uh, Paul, looks like Paul, um, can't remember his name now, Paul, uh, Paul Sherwin and uh, 
help me with this, Bevan. I don't Phil Liggett. Phil Liggett. Oh, Phil Liggett. Okay. Paul, Paul Sherwin. Um, so it's got a bunch of Lance stuff, but there's a, a bunch of other cool things on there, and it, it'll help you guys find a few channels. I was watching the Giro d'Italia from like 2005 the other day, so I love watching all the cycling stuff. So you guys that are going through winter, check this little link out, and uh, and you'll find a bit more fodder to watch while you're on the training. So, admittedly, quite a few of them are private or have been pulled off, but yeah, they've got 143 listed, and there are some that are a little bit shorter, you know, under kind of 10, 15 minutes, but generally speaking, they're over 45 minutes long. So, if you are looking to do some kind of cool stuff on the tra- on the trainer, remember that Ram documentary they brought out years ago? Remember that? They sent that through to us. That was yes. a good doco. I wonder if they I think that's the one. I'm pretty sure that that's the one that's up there. It's... um. It's the race across America, and yeah. it's really sad because one of the guys is sort of profiling at the start of it, and uh, yeah, a lovely guy, and then he dies. He gets hit yeah. by a car, and it's a great. And, and he was kind of like the good guy of the sport too, wasn't he? He was kind mm. of like he wasn't one of the faster guys, but he'd done it quite a few times. He was he was just one of those guys who was just in his community was awesome, and everyone kind of loved this guy and involved in the event. And uh, yeah, it was it was pretty sad. Um, the Rams are crazy race, man. That, that is madness. Okay, Jumbo, questions and answers. Nice Good old Grant Petrie. Is it Grant Petrie from Christchurch? No, it's Grant Petrie. He was uh, he came over to one of our Kona camps. Um, it was the year before last, so, and he's coming over to to Road. Road. Oh, good stuff. Okay, well, he just sent through a link to a guy who's doing seven marathons in seven continents in seven days, and there's a piece that the Washington posted on him. Uh, and no, so it's, 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 this is more this is something you can sign up for so this 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 week we've kind of got the the crazy section here because we've got so many different things happening all people doing these mental challenges around the world so this is seven seven marathons and seven continents in seven days and uh so you start down in antarctica and then you go off to um uh you basically go yeah africa uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, up to Africa, to Europe, and South America. So it goes, and it goes South America. America, goes Antarctica, South America, North America, Europe, Africa, Asia, Australasia. So uh, th- this is a uh, it would be a cool thing to do. Seven marathons in seven days. I can see that being doable on the body. You know, really, really hard. Oh, yeah. But compared to doing 100 Ironmans in 100 days, um, maybe seven marathons in seven days is, uh, is is still a monumental challenge. But um, to me, the I, challenge is travel. You know, like to, to guarantee you're going to have to get to everywhere is that's the risk. So this is an organised group that are doing this. It's called the World Marathon Challenge, and um, if you want to be part of it. You can, if you can cough up 36,000 euros, so I don't know, it's about $50,000 New Zealand, about so this 30, 30 euro and US dollar are pretty similar. If you've got the money, you can do it. And they, they take care of everything you know, in terms of all your flights and everything like that. But it's, uh, it's a fair whack of money to go and do seven marathons. Yeah, it is, it is. But hey, if you've got it, it's your life. You can spend it how you want. Okay, Pete Buckingham's just gone through. Oh, no, oh, no. Yes, uh, Jim Gumps. Here's another crazy adventure. So this guy called, his name's not Jim Gump. His name is... Yeah, it is Jim Gump. Pete, but Pete Buckingham sent this through. But so do you think his name is Jim Gump? Do you think, or do you think he just changed it because of Forrest Gump? I'm pretty sure he's just Oh, right. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think his yeah, ma- like real name may be something different. But anyway, he is, is Jim... Uh, Plunk, net, plunk net, 
Cole is, is who it is. But basically, he's basically doing Forrest Gump's run. He's going to run across America. I think he's running there and back. So he's running for like three all years. Over the, it's all over the place. I looked at the website. So you can go to, we were just giving a jimgump.com a bit of a plug. He's running all across America and uh, going, trying to inspire kids. It's, it's, it, and for, as Bevan said, trying to follow Forrest Gump's run. And it's not just, it's, it's like there and back all over the bloody place. He's trying to, yeah. he's running. Twenty thousand miles in uh, in three years, and I was like, "How much is he going to be doing a week?" So I worked it out. He's going to be averaging seventeen miles a day, or one hundred and twenty miles a week. Um, that's, that's a lot, lot isn't that's it? A lot of running. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. You know, that's thirty something k. So that's that's a that's a lot of running every day for three years. Mm, mm. So good luck to him. What well, an interesting we experience space, to go through. You know, like like what a fascinating. Well, yeah, just you know, what a fascinating experience to go through. Like, I'd be really interested to see the insights you gain, but also, three years is a long time. Like, hundred days, a hundred Ironmans, crazy, but three years—that's a massive part of your life. Exactly. So, yeah. good on him. I'm sure he's doing lots of good stuff there. So, if you want to support him, go to jimgump.com. Okay, Jumbo, you want to do some patrons? I do indeed. Do I've got. I've gone old school here, Bevan, for some of them. I've got uh, first. First one I'm going to do is Tom. Salbury. Sorry, Tom, if I've got your surname pronounced wrong. Do but I went... do, I'll do the apple. Wait a second, let's see what apple says. Salbury. Salbury. Pretty good. Commander Pyro. Tell me about it, John. On a holiday to Hawaii, you accidentally tumbled into a volcano but mysteriously survived the experience. Now you must learn to control your strange new abilities oh. whilst also urgently um, fireproofing your home. So pyrokinesis, you have the power to control and manipulate fire, and you can even create your own ball of superheated flame. Now you must protect Washington, D.C. from terrorists, whilst also battling the evil plans of the psychedelic ringmaster. Oh, there you go. That was was from nicknamegenerator.com. So, Tom, you have got a pretty cool name there. Okay, and then who is next? We've got um, Andrew Morgan, and you can see on that link, Bevan, there, if you click on that, it'll tell you a bit more about uh, about Andrew, and he's based over in Australia. And uh, and I was thinking, a- Andrew runs a, um, a Best Western, and I'm just waiting. Oh, really? It's yeah. a busy life that is, isn't it? Yeah. So um, uh, in Port Augusta. And so if you've got a Port Augusta, a Comfort Inn, not Best Western, bloody hell, I'm probably promoting the wrong brand there. Uh, he runs uh, the Comfort Inn and Suites in Augusta, Augusta West Side. And he's got a picture there of him and his son. His son had some, has got some challenges, but he's uh, he's got his bike there and uh, he's made a little seat for his son, a bit like, not like Rick and Dick Hoyt, but kind of that sort of thing. He's kind of got a oh, little yeah. buggy next to him on the mountain yeah. bike. And um, given he, he runs a hotel, I thought maybe the name The Proprietor. Nice. That's a good one. You like it? Yeah. And John, but John, I've got to say, when I, years and years ago, 2004, I think it was, I spent about four, three or four months in the States traveling around doing some work. And Comfort Inns, if you've got a Comfort Inn, you're always happy. Like, you know, pretty, pretty middle of the road kind of hotel, but they always delivered. Seriously, yeah. I was always happy with a Comfort Inn. So, you know, you're in a good place. Andrew, is a, he's been a triathlon since 2013, uh, and that year it changed his life. He went from never doing a single run to 
uh, to a race and then to doing a full Ironman. Typically, typical story was about to turn 40, unfit and overweight. So I started a boot camp, lost some weight, got fit enough to do a half marathon. So I did one in July. Didn't want to waste my fitness and thought I'd never do this again. So tried a full marathon in August, did the Adelaide Marathon. And passing someone mentioned Ironman again. I thought I'd never be this fit again. So I set my sights on Ironman Western Australia in December. Never done a triathlon at all. So as a lead up, I did a duathlon in September on his mountain bike and then bought a second-hand road bike and did the Murray Man long course in November and then finally went and did Ironman Western Australia finishing at 11.30. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, so I was happy to go into 12. Since then, been back the following two years with a 10.55 and now down to 10.16. Oh, he's going stuff. for that sub 10 isn't he yeah. hey, he's going for that sub 10 mm. that's, that's pretty cool stuff it's just, I just love those stories of coming into sport late, later in life you know to kind of be close to 40 and kind of finding sport and just seeing how much it changes your life you know like it's pretty cool stuff and uh, Tim Tim Carpenter, see, seeing the light, he's moved from the UK. He got out early, got out before the Brexit, originally from the UK and started triathlon soon after moving to Perth, Western Australia in 2006. So he foresaw the Brexit. He got out 10 years before it was going to happen. Oh, he's, uh, he's fortune teller. His start of not being able to swim 50 metres, and now he's been to Kona twice. Maybe one more time, he's got a young, got a young family, and he's a member of the Stadium Triathlon Club, so stadiumtriclub.com, who run the, the Curry Valley Triathlon, um, which is the best race in Western Australia with a freshwater swim, rolling bike leg, and a trail run. It's 1.5k swim, 60k bike, 12k run. So Tim Carpenter um, decided to call him Superstar. Nice. Nice. Got, got, got that, Bevan? Where am I, you got where I'm coming from there? I'm thinking the Carpenters. Yes. Yeah. You're thinking correctly. Superstar, yes. Tim Carpenter. Do you know the Carpenters? The song, their biggest song. What's, what's, what's their biggest song? I can't remember. But superstar. Huh? How does Superstar go? Superstar. No, no, it's, it's ever. Bloody hell. I'm oh. on the right song there. Isn't it Top of the World? Oh, my. Yep, yep, top yep. of the... Okay, that's his nickname. We're calling him Top of the World. They, they have got Superstar, though, as well. But it's, I, was, I was thinking the ABBA version of Superstar. Well, Top of the World was it was actually this. I'm pretty sure this is the story behind it. It was a TV commercial song, and one time one of the their producer or something or their manager or something was just watching TV in the middle of the night, and um, yeah, they heard it and they thought, oh, this could be a cool song to release as a pop song, and then they made a pop song and it was like their biggest hit, something like something like that. So, Good. yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, Jombo, okay, so that's our patrons. If you want to become a patron, you can go to www.iamtalk.me. You can support things like Wanger of the Week, which is obviously going to be <laughs> a highlight of our show moving forward. So check that out, uh, www.iamtalk.me. And for those who already are patrons, we just appreciate the support that you give to the show because you really do make a difference. John sponsors Extreme Endurance, Galactic Buffer, Athlinks, Social Networking for Endurance Athletes, and our patrons. Uh, that would be the, all the cool people in the world. Um, Jombo, what's your goss? What is my goss? Went and did uh, had, a, had a little ride through the mountain bike park, Bevan. Oh, you know what? Mm? I was at the gym the other day, and I've got a locker, but I never use it. But I've started, my mics die. We buy these microphones, and mine lasts about three or four weeks because I'm so sweaty. And I, I leave it in my bag, and I thought, maybe if I don't leave it in my bag and leave it in my locker, it will dry. So... I started using my locker again, which I haven't used for like 10 years. And you know what happened when I opened my locker, John? There was a brand new pair of Nikes sitting in my locker that I didn't even know existed. So, nice. so it was kind of a nice bonus. But also, in my locker, someone had just had a secret Santa to me and gave me some vouchers to use it. 
Oh, very nice. Yeah, so I don't know who it is. Maybe it's an I'm Talk listener. Um, whoever it is, thank you very much for doing that. So what was it like? It's interesting. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, a cool, it's a cool thing to go and do. So what it is, we've got this uh, mountain bike park in Christchurch, and they've, they've put in a chairlift, and uh, and you go all the way up to the top of the Port Hills where we do a lot of cycling, and then they've, they're they building tracks through this um, sort of forested area. So it's a perfect location. It's great. Um, and it's still early days, so they haven't got that many runs. I was expecting it to be easier than what it was, so I went down the green trail first, thinking I was actually partly on a blue trail. And, so uh, what, was Blue's, Blue's total beginner? Green, greens, greens beginner, blue is intermediate, and black is advanced. Okay. And um, the green was a lot more advanced than I thought it was going to be. And uh, and then on my second run, I did uh, the blue stuff, which was again more advanced as you'd expect. Um, and it's it's cool. It's a fantastic resource. It's just not my kind of thing to be just riding downhill. You know, you basically get the chairlift up and then you ride downhill. So yeah. you're not really getting a workout. But it's it's you know. It, it takes a long time to get down, you know, so it's it's not like you're going up and you're back down to the bottom in two minutes. It's it's a fairly long way down. Busy? and It was busy, yeah, um, but not so busy that it was a problem when you were riding. Um, but then on the, I, I got uh, th- uh, three three uplifts, so three lifts up. Yeah, that's up what I've, and, I've got, yeah. And, uh, and that would take you, you know, good hour and a half to do three three runs um, oh, nice. going up going up and down however on my second run um i managed to break my bike towards the bottom by uh <gasps> breaking my rear derailleur because my bike is just it's more it's a mountain bike and it's got suspension and stuff but it's a you know yeah. it's a less, less than a thousand dollars bike it really is more of a commuter bike with which has got some got features and uh, and I given I rode it off road when I was up in Kiteri and then did a couple of rides there it didn't ra- didn't like it and uh, and my rear derailleur snapped. <laughs> oh no! Was it a and, concern or you're you're okay? I was okay. I just then the chain got jammed as well and so I had to um, just luckily it was just at the bottom so I only had a tiny little distance to get down and then uh, managed to get it fixed enough that I was able to get home. So um, but no, it's cool. It's a cool facility if you're into downhill mountain biking. It's cool. There's, there's, at this stage they haven't got loads of tracks, um, but when in a few years time once it's fully operational in terms of all the different areas they're going to do, it will be amazing. Um, the thing that's going to be the best in the world. Mm, don't know about that. I, I don't have anything to call on, but I think there's some no. pretty cool places around the world. But uh, for me, you know, I'd much rather ride up and down. So if they had a more uphill tracks, I'd I'd probably be right into it. But, but you can um, ride up. You are allowed to ride up it, aren't you? Yeah, but it's seriously tough going up. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's seriously tough. So if, if it was more a park where, you, where it was, like in Kaiteri, where I did the riding over Christmas, where you're riding and you're getting the ups and the downs, yeah. that was a lot more enjoyable for me personally. But um, so, yeah, if you're into downhilling, though, it's cool. I was watching, I was kind of, I've got a TV in my hotel room. I don't, you know, so I'm kind really? of really. Well, no, but I, I don't really watch <laughs> they've TV. They've upgraded. They've upgraded you. Yeah, but, no, but like when I'm at home, I'll, Joe and I watch. We'll flip through the news and we'll watch one program a night. So we kind of like. I tell you what, guys, if you haven't seen Pinky Blinders, watch Pinky Blinders. It's brilliant. But, um, so but I've got a TV in my room, so I kind of just have it on the background while I'm working, which I wouldn't normally do. But they had cyclocross on yesterday. That's a cool sport. That'd be a heavy. That'd be such a fun sport to do. No, I've not done that. That 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 looks intense, man. Because it's it's not that technical riding. Like you know, they're doing it on road bikes, maybe with thicker tires. So it's not it's not technical hilly stuff. But then they've got to grab their bike and run up these steps, and it was pretty impressive stuff. It was pretty mm. cool. Yeah, just another bike for the garage, though. Just another bike for <laughs> more than a thousand dollars worth. Mm. Um, any other goss, John? No other goss, Bevan. 
No other goths. I've got okay. uh, the the Philonator, uh, Philonator's son down the hallway there, having uh, stayed last night, and the, we'll see what sort of shape the boys are in after having a rather a late night and a and a Thomas Newsom early start. Oh really? Oh. Is he a kind of friend who manages to wake his friends up when he wakes up? I think he's by the sound of it, he's done that fairly successfully. Nice, yes. nice, nice. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Bevan, anything exciting happening in your world other than wedding planning? Yeah, it's kind of getting into the last stages now, John. It's it's getting into the the minor details now. It's it's we're ninety nine point nine percent there. This is the last little bits. I've just got to confirm. I've got to confirm the playlist. Joe sent me through the playlist for the DJ. Yeah, we're paying for a DJ, and which I like their idea of doing as a DJ. But they they say, what do you want on your playlist? And I was like, isn't it your job? <laughs> so, yeah. You've so, got to give them some guidance, otherwise you end up with some some yeah. pre-crack music sometimes. Now, question for you, Bevan, what time are we wrapping up? Well, you know, yeah, have you got a closed time? You've got to be out of the venue? I don't know. I, I imagine around midnight. Mm. Yeah, we, well, because the, the ceremony, so the day is to get the photos done because mm-hmm. we're doing the photos before the ceremony mm-hmm. um, and then we head out. We've got a, we, we, we were having the wedding at a place called Clearwater and we, we've hide rooms here so we can kind of go to the room the ceremony we expect people to turn up around three or just before three and then we the ceremony is at 3 30 and then we're having post drinks so because we want people to be able to come who aren't necessarily aren't invited so we're basically going to have the ceremony and that's why we did the photos first and then what we're going to do is we're going to have uh, drinks for about 45 minutes to an hour so we can mingle with the people who aren't going to be moving on and then I think about 5 o'clock we'll head on into the main room dinner party time party 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 team and uh, I, I just wanted dancing so basically get the speeches done have the food rock on the dance floor that's all I care about so nice. it's going to be good times but yeah other than that John not much goss really just yeah, I'm getting ready to be a married man Learning good. how to do a tie. I, do, I, I put a photo on Facebook last night. I've, I've never been done tie in my life, and I did my first ever Windsor. I have to say, I love YouTube, John. <laughs> it, makes it, it makes it very easy to learn how to do a tie. So there you go. If you can't learn, how, if you can't do a tie like me, well, go to YouTube. You can learn in a couple of minutes. So it's pretty good stuff. Other than that, John, that's pretty much it. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha.